Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. Uh, I'm Carmen LeBurge. It is Tuesday, the 17th of October, 2023. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. As, um, as I continue to read and listen to and watch the testimonies of um, the increasing number of Israeli families uh, and those who were visiting who are willing to te- to tell you know their their stories of horror and grief related to the events of Saturday morning October the 7th and actually about the subsequent 10 hours following that for some um the horror continues the latest numbers are that because the hostage numbers were kind of a guess to begin with there was sort of a guess that there were about 150 people that number is now known known to be at least 199. Um, one can hardly imagine the suffering and grief and anguish of their families and their friends. And yes, uh, there is death and grief on both sides of this, no question about it, but there's no moral equivalence um, to be had, and it's important for us to continue to say that. And so... When we talk about forgiveness, which we're going to talk about this morning, when we talk about forgiveness, um, Jesus is the one who says, you know, like, <laughs> um, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but that's, uh, that's not what I'm, that's not who I am. That's not how I'm teaching you to live and be. Vengeance says an eye for an eye. And it is important to remember when we talk about worldview on both sides of the Israeli-Gaza conflict, on both sides of the Israeli-Hamas, Israeli-Hezbollah, Israeli-Iran, on on both sides, there is not a New Testament worldview. There is not a Jesus worldview. There is a vengeance worldview. There is an eye-for-an-eye understanding of justice. That is imperative for you to keep in mind and for me to keep in mind um, as the events are unfolding and are yet to unfold in relationship to what's going on there. Now, from a Christian worldview, um, yeah, I understand that there's a difference between vengeance and justice and that vengeance belongs to the Lord and that justice will roll down. Um, But that justice that rolls down may not look at all like the justice that you expect. There is a hard teaching before us today from Matthew chapter 6. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day um, is Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, If you forgive other people 
when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sins against you, your Father will not forgive your sins. <laughs> I have to tell you, that is a hard teaching. That is a difficult teaching. It sounds as if Jesus is saying God's forgiveness is conditioned upon or dependent upon our forgiveness of others. Is that possible? Is it possible that that's what Jesus is saying? Let's look at um, what Jesus said about forgiveness at other times and how he taught about forgiveness, how he demonstrated forgiveness so that we might be able to better understand what he is saying here in, uh, in these verses in Matthew chapter 6. So in the verses that are just prior to today's verse of the day, we have Jesus' answer to the disciples' request to teach them how to pray. It's the model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, and in it, Jesus says, uh, teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That as, that's that conditionality business. As, in the same way, in the measure of, as. Forgive us as we forgive. So how many times have you prayed that phrase of the Lord's Prayer? Just think about that for just a moment. How many times have you prayed that phrase of the Lord's Prayer? Did you mean it? Did you mean, hey, God, forgive me as I forgive others? That's what today's text is about. So in uh, Matthew 18, we hear Peter ask Jesus, okay, I mean, you know, this forgiveness thing, you talk about it fairly frequently. How often is it necessary to forgive? If my brother sins against me, you know, seven times, do I have to forgive him seven times? And Jesus is like, uh, 70 times seven times or 77 times, depending on how you read it. And so here's, here's the reality. It's not, it's about not keeping count. It, you know, it, it, it don't even keep count of how many times you forgive your brother. It's a never ending way we live and we live in forgiveness, not in unforgiveness. That's the, that's, that's the other option, by the way. You can either live in forgiveness or you can live in unforgiveness. And Jesus knows that unforgiveness eats us alive. He knows it eats us alive. Jesus used uh, parables frequently to illustrate all kinds of um, aspects of the kingdom of heaven, including the aspect of forgiveness. Um, He told a parable of the unforgiving servant in relationship to this, how many times do I have to forgive Um, in in Matthew 18. Um, In Luke's gospel, there is a series of five forgiveness parables, the barren fig tree, the bent over woman, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the greatest forgiveness parable of all that we know as the prodigal son or the forgiving father. Jesus readily forgave. Um, He told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He told the woman um, who bathed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, your sins are forgiven. He told the woman who we describe as caught in adultery, who was brought before him, I do not condemn you. As he hung on the cross, he told the repentant criminal hanging next to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That is forgiveness. There are all kinds of occasions when Jesus forgave those who sinned against him directly. Um, Jesus' forgiveness was costly. It was intentional. It was a conscious choice. After the Roman soldiers had scourged him, after they had nailed him to a cross, Jesus prayed, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. After the resurrection, Jesus enters the upper room where those who had deserted him and the one who had 
uh, um, who had, um, what do we call it? What does Peter do? Denied him three times. Peter's standing right there. Every other disciple had deserted him. Does Jesus offer them condemnation? No, he offers them forgiveness in the form of peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says it three times. So Jesus's instruction in the Lord's Prayer, which comes just prior to this verse, is, um, is something that we pray often. And I guess I'm asking, are we praying it intentionally? Do we know what we're saying when we say it? If you forgive anyone's sins, it says in John chapter 20, if you have received the Holy Spirit and you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is about binding and loosing. This is about forgiveness and unforgiveness. Let us be people in the spirit of Christ. Let us be people who forgive. We're going to talk next with our friend Billy Hollowell. He's a reporter for the Christian Broadcasting Network. He reports on Faith Wire. We're going to talk about some conversations that he's had with folks in Israel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Billy Hollowell is back. You can find what we're talking about and other great resources that we won't even have time for today at faithwire.com. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm well. You guys have been um, really incredibly busy this last week posting really great um, content from folks in Israel on the ground um, and for others responding to those events um, from all kinds of perspectives. So maybe you could just take us into some of the conversations that you've been having. Yeah, you know, I think the one that that's really standing out to me is this TV reporter, Nicole Zedek. She's with I-24 News. And I think most people actually know of her because of this viral report that she delivered about Hamas massacring babies. And Mm. this was the report at the start of the war last week where she was in a town that had been attacked by Hamas. And she was describing how soldiers told her that they saw, and I can't even believe we are saying these words, but decapitated babies, children who had been murdered. Um, And she delivered that report. It went viral. And then immediately it felt like there were suddenly people, I don't even know, questioning, you know, is this true? Were there real, did this part of the story really happen? Were these babies truly decapitated? And just this bizarre sort of media narrative surrounding, meanwhile, we know that 40 babies were slaughtered, right? That seems to be the headline here. It doesn't really matter how it happened. Um, but th- this became, obviously it went viral because it was horrifying. Then it became a media question and people were debating it. And so I reached out to Nicole because she was the reporter at the center you know, of this. And you know, she got back to me and we had a chance to sit down and really talk not only about that part of the story, but, but her experience being on the ground hours after this town was just horrifically ravaged by Hamas terrorists and, and getting a chance to understand and hear firsthand what she experienced and saw. She's very compelling. She's also very young. Um, one of the parts of your conversation that I thought was, uh, you know, just frankly, very, very human, and I appreciated it, Billy, was, you know, when she talked about kind of her internal disgust that that other people thought they needed to see it, that they needed to see physical evidence. And, you know, and her just recognizing that the things that she had already seen with her own eyes were not things that she wanted anyone else to have to see, that she's there to report as a journalist in part so that we don't all have to see everything that the journalist sees. Can you 
Can you just talk about that a little bit? This like strange appetite we seem to have to see really, really horrible, awful things. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually two issues here. And that's the first one. I think that you, you just said that really well. Why why do we need to see this, right? And unfortunately, the Israeli government ended up releasing some of the images of these babies after because this conversation kept going on and on and on. Um, and I don't think they took any joy in releasing those. I, I think it's horrific. But, but you know, I think we're a little desensitized, right? We have mm-hmm. all these horror movies and all these things that go on, and we're so detached from it. It's not real to us because it's not when you're watching a movie. But this is real life and these things are happening. And so, you know, I think there, it is disgusting to me that people would feel the need to see that. But I think there's another piece of this puzzle that is really also unfortunate and sort of disgusting. And it's this idea that, you know, it's almost like casting doubt on what the Israelis are saying, right? Well, if the babies weren't decapitated, then, you know, we need to haggle over that detail because maybe, you know, maybe Hamas isn't as bad as we thought they were. Or maybe the Israelis almost, you know, and I'm not saying that everyone is saying this, but it's this tone, right, of maybe they're not being honest about what happened. And, you know, she also said during this interview, and I have the quote here and I'll read it. She said, if later it comes out that these soldiers, what they witnessed, that they misspoke, and it turns out the baby's head wasn't cut off, it was shot off. This is Mm -hmm. a dismembered child we're talking about. So the life is lost, and that's what people need to focus on. And to her point, shouldn't we all be horrified that 40 babies were slaughtered, regardless of whether or not these details about how it was done are true? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We're talking with Billy Hollowell. Um, You can find the articles that we're talking about at um, faithwire.com. Take us into the conversation that you had with the CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, um, right there on the ground providing aid to those in need. Um, Yael Eckstein. Eckstein. Yeah, this conversation we had, you know, last week and right after this had happened. So this is very fresh. Uh, What is so interesting about the fellowship um, is that they, you know, they they bring together Christians and Jews to work together, but they're on the ground in really unprecedented and very quick ways. I mean, immediately her organization was providing food, resources, things I hadn't even thought about, right? I mean, in America, we don't have to worry about all of these things, like having bulletproof vests, right? Having bomb shelters, you know, and I don't know if people have noticed this, but as this has been covered over the past week and a half, not only do people have bomb shelters in their homes, as we see story after story, there are also portable bomb shelters. And um, she was talking about the fact that her organization provides those bomb shelters for people, Um, you know, and, and she's in the middle of doing all this, but also, you know, in a state of shock and mourning, she's feeling that every Israeli is feeling that um, and looking at what she called the epitome of evil, staring that in the face and making the decision to go out there and help people. One of the places where her organization is actually serving right now is at the the location where families are coming to identify deceased loved ones. And so you can imagine how emotional and difficult that is. They're providing emotional support, food, resources for those families, just a place to sit as they're going to identify the bodies and, and dealing with really the most unthinkable. Um, and, and as we were talking, she made the point, you know, she's the granddaughter and daughter-in-law of Holocaust survivors. And so you think, you know, what is that like? You know, we've heard at least one story of a Holocaust survivor being hauled off by Hamas when this began and taken captive. And 
I think the Holocaust really, as we talk about this story, is so pertinent because this is the worst assault on Jewish people since the Holocaust. So really just getting back to their work, though, they're doing incredible work on the ground, providing even MRI machines and helmets, the things that, again, you don't think of uh, because we don't go through this here in America the way that uh, people in Israel do. Yeah, I um, I have a friend who ordered as many bulletproof backpacks as she could, and they all look like little unicorns. They're all for little kids, and they're they're tactical in nature. They're, you know, they're by a company called Atomic Defense, and I'm just like, you know, this is just a different world than we live in, um, or most of us live in. And so it's just um, the things that people are considering and the things that they are needing now are very, very different than they even considered themselves needing a week ago. We're going to continue our conversation with Billy Hollowell here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation now with Billy Hollowell from faithwire.com. Billy's got a ton of great content posted there that we won't have time to talk about today. So I encourage you to go and check it all out, including their YouTube channel. Um, Billy, you, your team has just really done yeoman's work um, in, in these last 10 days. Uh, maybe tell us a story that we maybe haven't yet seen uh, posted yet. Yeah, you know, we were just talking about Yael Eckstein and her organization. She actually posted something. It was just, it's such a simple story, but we have it over at Faithwire and you can um, take a read and look at it. It's um, an image that was captured in the skies uh, over the site that I mentioned in the last um, you know conversation, the site where people are identifying the bodies of their loved ones. And it was a rainbow. You know, as they're dealing with this horror of identifying the bodies, this big rainbow appeared um, right overhead. And, you know, I'm not one to overread into things, but I think it's really compelling that you have these people who are struggling after this attack. And this just happened over the weekend. Um, and she posted about this on on uh, Instagram. Uh, she said, despite the death that has been surrounding us for the past week, this rainbow was a bold reminder the Jewish people will never be destroyed. And of course, the rainbow in Genesis 9, we know that that is God's covenant with humanity. And it has to do in a much broader sense of, of not flooding the earth again, right? That he made this covenant with Noah and humanity. And um, but but whenever we see a rainbow, it's that reminder. And so in this case, I think it, it really brought peace to a lot of those relief workers and others and, and the victims and their families as they were dealing with this over the weekend. Billy, you have written um, a great deal uh, on the subject of evil. You've also written on the subject of end times. I'm thinking here about two of your books, uh, Playing with Fire and The Armageddon Code. Any thoughts that you've had in the midst of all of this in relationship to either of those topics, evil or the end times? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, right? Because 
as Christians, when we see evil, when we see what happened in Israel, we very clearly understand what is going on. And I often try to put myself in the mindset of somebody who doesn't understand evil because I, you know, how do you process these sorts of events outside of, especially talking about 40 babies being slaughtered, outside of total depraved evil that is beyond anything a person on their own would come up with. And and so all of this really brings me back to that understanding of Ephesians 6, that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, that there is good and evil. And, you know, a lot of the world doesn't want to acknowledge that. They want to only look at the temporal, but we have a very big spiritual battle going on. And in this case, we're talking about something that goes back thousands of years. It's biblical. It goes back to God's chosen people, the people he loves. And that sort of brings us, I think, into that discussion about the end times, because it's very hard when anything surrounds Israel, um, you know, my ears, you know, perk up. I'm not, I'm not one to say this is definitely tied to the end times, but I am one to question and wonder, you know, what is going on here? And, you know, we would need 30 episodes of this show to dive into all the different ideas about eschatology in the end. But, but I think what we're watching right now is a manifestation of what we've seen again and again and again throughout scripture. Um, and we know if if you've read your Bibles, and I know some people might disagree because there are, again, different ideas about this, but the book of Revelation is very much centered on Israel and Jerusalem. And so looking at this, you have to wonder, hmm, what, what is going on here and, and what's going to happen next? I think that there are lots of folks who we make assumptions. We make assumptions that everybody has read the Bible. I don't think that that's true. Um, we make assumptions that people do understand the reality of existential good and evil, um, and not everybody operates as if those are um, realities operating in the context of real time. So while I appreciate you suggesting that we know these things, um, assume that we don't. Assume that you're talking to somebody right now who does not know what the Bible says about um, the reality of good and evil and the the spiritual battle that we are in the midst of. Maybe just brief us in on that biblical narrative. No, I love that. I love that you said that because I do think it's true. It's easy for us as Christians to sort of take that for granted, even people saying they're Christian, maybe having not read. You know, going back to Ephesians 6, this idea that there is evil going on. All of us on earth right now, we're so focused on the he said, she said, let's fight with that person. It's all about flesh, right? I'm fighting with you, you're fighting with me, and we see that politically, we see that everywhere. Not that there aren't you know fights worth having ideologically, but the reality is the real battle, the real fight is not between flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so that is something that when you're watching the news and you can't understand that depraved evil and you're trying to make sense of it, it's because it's coming from somewhere else. It's because there's a much deeper rooting to it. And once you start to see the world through that lens, things actually start to make a lot more sense. Now, um, I don't mean that we excuse the things that are happening, but we understand that there is a rooting, that there is evil, Satan, and there are demons, and that realm exists, and there is God and Christ and good, and that realm exists. And so we are in the midst of that, and we're so distracted we don't realize that that is happening. But when it comes to when it comes to Israel, when it comes to God's you know chosen people and you know, th this country of Israel, let's just keep in mind, and I'd encourage people because we don't have time to go through all of it here, crack open a Bible if you haven't, even if you're an atheist and you're listening to this and you've stumbled upon it, go to Ezekiel 36 and a read, read Ezekiel 36 through Ezekiel 39. 
It is talking about a regathering of Israel. It is talking about some events that some believe have not even happened yet, an invasion into Israel. It's Gog and Magog. Uh, But read that because in 1948, Israel came back on the map. And that is one of the most fascinating events really in human history, the fact that Israel is back after being gone for 1900 years. And you will see that Ezekiel, the prophet, was actually prophesying that you know, 2,500 years ago. So anyway, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I'd encourage people to take a look at that. Yeah, no, this is one of those trips down the rabbit hole that we that we need to be taking in these days, because if we don't even know what Scripture says um, about Israel as a historical reality in, you know, let's say the days of King David, right? And we don't know what the history of Israel is and sort of how the people of Israel um, left the land that God promised to them, um, and then, and we don't know the history of why there even is a nation of Israel again um, after the Holocaust. Nobody wanted mm-hmm. them. And so, you know, when we talk about whose land is this and the the dispute um, uh, about, you know, who who should rightly inhabit this space and this place and this time. And we got to read all the way to the end of the book, because as you say, um, even the events of Revelation are centered in in Jerusalem, and Israel plays no minor role in all of that. Um, and so, again, uh, Billy and I are not saying, hey, 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 wake up, these are the end times. But I will say this, you know, every day is one day closer. Like, I don't know what the yeah. timeline's going to be, but I do recognize that every day is one day closer. And I want to be a person who is awake and alert, and I want my wicks to be trimmed. Yeah. Well, and one really quick thing, because I know we have to go soon here, but in Ezekiel, as you're getting, you know, 36 to 39, as you're reading that and you get to the Gog and the Magog portion of, of this, keep in mind that there's a list of countries that are against Israel and they are going to invade. And it's believed that this has not yet happened yet. Gog and Magog, Gog of Magog, Magog is north of Israel. Pull up a map and take take a look at what's north of Israel and Russia's up there. Um, but the first nation listed in this partnership is Persia, which is Iran. And so that should really be perking some ears up when you look at what's happening before us right now. Yeah. Um, Billy, um, maybe we have time for you to tell us one more, uh, you know, like positive story or conversation that you've had um, that you think we ought to be briefed in on. Yeah, I know. I love that you, I love that you asked that because I was talking with Johnny Moore, um, who's, you know, evangelical leader, and he was talking obviously about all the difficulties here, but there have been a number of stories that have not gotten enough attention. There was a woman um, from Brazil who had just moved to Israel. She was killed in the attacks and, you know, you have to have 10 adults for a minion, which is, um, it's basically the Jewish rite of saying the funeral. You need at least 10 adults to come. And because she didn't know anybody, um, the thought was they wouldn't be able to actually have this religious service, but 3,500 people apparently showed up or more. Mm. Some reports are much higher than that to her funeral to support her. There was also a Muslim man, um, by the way, who Awad Darashwi, and I'm probably butchering his name, um, but he was an Arab Israeli paramedic who stayed behind at that music festival and saved lives. And he was killed by the terrorists, but he sacrificially stayed there to help the Jewish people who were being attacked. And so we want to we want to mention those stories because they're they're really important to honor those lives and to see that there can be good even in, in the midst of so much hate. Yeah. Hey, thank you for what you're doing every single day at FaithWire. Um, that is Billy Hollowell, FaithWire.com. Conflict in Israel has been a reality whenever um, Israel has existed as a nation. So we are going to do a biblical review 
of um, of the history of Israel when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So one of the things Billy uh, Hollowell pointed out was, you know, if we've read our Bibles, then um, we know we know some of these things because we know the end from the beginning. Uh, and it occurs to me that even if you've read your Bible, uh, you might not be sort of refreshed on these particular passages or the storyline of the conflict of the people of Israel or the nation of Israel throughout the course of human history. So conflict in Israel, conflict with Israel, so conflict in Israel, the place, conflict with Israel, the people, has been a reality um, whenever Israel has existed as a nation. So whether it was the Egyptians or the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, or the Romans, the nation of Israel has been persecuted by others. Um, And you might ask the question of why. Um, And so according to the Bible, it's because God actually has a special plan for the nation of Israel. And God has a real enemy, and therefore you and I have a real enemy. And Satan wants to defeat God's plan. Ultimately, he cannot, but he does wreak havoc in the meantime. So um, spiritually influenced hatred of Israel is a real thing. That That's the spiritual nature of what uh, Billy was pointing to. And if you've wondered, like, why do people hate Israel so much? Well, so there is a there there is an underlying spiritual reality to what is going on. It's not rationally, it's not rational by human standards. Another thing to recognize. So um, whether or not it was uh, uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, or Haman, the official of Persia, or Hitler, the leader of Nazi Germany, um, or a particular uh, president of, let's say, an Islamic republic, um, attempts to completely destroy Israel, not only will they persist, but they will always fail. The, The persecutors of Israel come, but they also go. They come and they go. And so... It's imperative that we recognize that and that we we recognize that we live in the context of an unfolding narrative called the gospel. It's a redemptive narrative. It's unfolding in the context of human history, and this is a page of it. I don't know, you know, where along the storyline this page falls, but this is a page in the storyline of God's redemptive narrative that he is writing over all of human history. And the persecution of Israel is going to continue. It will remain until the second coming of Christ. Hear me again. Uh, The persecution of Israel and the persecution of the Jews will continue. It will remain, according to the Bible, until the second coming of Christ. Um, That also means that conflict in Israel or conflict with the Jews is not a reliable indicator of the end times because it's going to be a persistent reality until Jesus comes again. 
the, the Bible does say there will be a terrible conflict in Israel during the end times. It's um, what the time period that some people call the tribulation or the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, if you read Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Um, and so here are some of the things that the Bible says about Israel in the end times. And again, we have to ask ourselves in every moment, okay, Israel, at the time when these words are spoken in Deuteronomy or Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Matthew or Revelation or Zechariah, I mean, on and on and on, right? When these words are spoken, they mean something in real time at that time. They also mean something as the living word of God unfolding um, in the context of human history. So, According to Deuteronomy 30 and Isaiah 43 and Ezekiel 34, 36, and 37, there will be a mass return of Jews to the land of Israel um, in the end times. The Antichrist will make, and here the here you know is the number seven. When we talk about a seven-year covenant of peace with Israel. Uh, is that seven years in our time or seven years in some, you know, in in terms of the number of completeness, the Antichrist will make a seven-year covenant of, quote-unquote, peace with Israel. You hear about that in Isaiah 28 and Daniel 9. The temple will be rebuilt. I want you to think about that for just a moment. What do you know about the Temple Mount today and what sits upon it? Mm -hmm. There there is a uh, huge Muslim mosque sitting on the top of the Temple Mount. And so in order for the temple to be re- rebuilt, that mosque would have to be destroyed. Just think about what that, what that might mean and look like in the context of real human history in real time. But you read about the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. You read about it in Daniel 9, Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 11. And then uh, the Antichrist will break this peace covenant with Israel and a worldwide persecution of Israel will result. Israel will be invaded. Daniel 9, 12, Zechariah 11, Matthew 24, 21, Revelation 12, Ezekiel chapters 38 to 39, which is the reference that Billy gave us a few minutes ago. Israel will finally recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and Israel will be regenerated, restored, and regathered. Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 11, Romans 11. So, the turmoil in Israel today, how does it fit in to all of this? Well, Israel is persecuted. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Hamas, Islamic jihadists, Hezbollah, on and on and on. But this hatred and persecution of Israel is like a hint, as awful, as awful as we all recognize October the 7th and the following days have been, this hatred, this persecution of Israel is just a hint of what's going to happen in the end times. Matthew 24, verses 15 to 21 is worth our consideration. So the latest round of persecution Um, began when Israel was reconstituted as a nation in 1948. And why did that happen? Why why did uh, the Jews finally 
um, have again, after 1900 years, have again an opportunity to live in the land because nobody else wanted them. Because after the Second World War, nobody wanted the Jews. So 1948, when you hear um, the slogans and the chants at pro-Palestinian rallies, we don't want um, two states, we want 1948, that is what they mean. That is what that anti-Semitic slogan means. Um, there, are, there were, at the time, many scholars who believed that the six-day Arab-Israeli war in 1967 was the, quote, beginning of the end. Obviously, you know, if so, well, then the end is really long because, yeah. I mean, if you're 55, you don't even remember 1967. So could what is taking place in Israel today indicate that the end is near? Well, sure. But does it necessarily mean that the end is near? No. (laughs) Jesus himself said it really clearly. Again, this is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 6. Watch out that no one deceives you. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed because such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Sober, um, sober text of scripture. How good is God that he has told us the end from the beginning? How good is God that he has given us the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments? How good is God that he chose a people to be a light to the nations, a, a blessed people through whom others would be blessed? How good is God that Upon David's throne sits a king whose name is Jesus forever and ever. How good is God? And so in the midst of what are very, very difficult days, it is awful to say, and yet it is the truth, it's going to get worse. Um, Billy's right. We should read our own book. We should be reading the Bible the Old and the New Testament, and we should read it all the way to the end. We, we may not be living in the end, end days uh, or the end times. God help us if we are. But we ought to know what's coming. And we ought to, with sober judgment, live every moment with every breath God has given us to, de- to declare the goodness of his glory, the greatness of his love, the availability of his redemption, Every breath, because the one thing you can't do in heaven that you can do right now, the one thing you can't do in heaven that you can do right now is preach the gospel to someone who is lost. To tell someone who does not know of the love of God in Jesus that there is a way home and a loving father waiting to receive them. Many of you have asked, um, what then are we to say about these things? Let's spend some time in Romans 8 together in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and 
want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. What are we to say about these things? What are we to say about these things? I went, uh, I went back and I read the sermon that my dear friend and mentor, um, Dr. J. Howard Eddington, preached the Sunday after September 11th at the church that he pastored in Orlando, Florida. And um, it started this way. Whenever I get into trouble, whenever the world gets into trouble, I turn to Romans 8. Friends, we are in trouble. On September the 11th, evil pierced not only our national borders, but our national spirit. And all of us directly or indirectly have been and will continue to be profoundly impacted by the terrible events of that day. And as is always the case, whenever I have to face up to life's hard places and face down life's hard times, I turn to Romans 8. Um, I thought to myself uh, as I as I reread um, his sermon, you could just take out September the 11th and put in October the 7th. And instead of America's national borders, you could be thinking about Israel's national borders. And instead of America's national spirit, you could be thinking about Israel's national spirit. And that whole paragraph would still work. So let's talk about Romans chapter 8. Because the question that Paul poses there seems so appropriate in the face of unspeakable atrocity. Paul writes, what then shall we say about these things? It's a good question. It's a good question. And when we stand in the shadow of a tragedy, when we stand in the shadow of an atrocity, when evil is falling over all of us, We can see ourselves on our knees before the Lord with hands lifted high saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, what shall I say about these things? So it's, um, it's a good question. It's in Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul, uh, of course, gives us the answer. And so I encourage you to immerse yourself today in Romans chapter 8 in order that you might see the way Paul answers the question and how he does so with more questions and what that might tell us about how we engage with one another in these days. Um, Asking questions is is good. It's a good use of, um, of the time that we have with other people. So when Paul says, what then shall we say about these things? He actually asks another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that is a good question. The Bible clearly teaches that God 
created all things. Um, and established the system of irreversible natural laws. Um, and that includes things like intense heat at the core of the earth, which makes the planet inhabitable. Um, which also, though, makes like the skin of the earth expand and contract, which occasionally results in earthquakes. And the law of gravity, which holds everything and all people into place, but the same law of gravity causes a person who falls out of a window at a great height to plunge with disastrous results. So the natural laws which God created are created for a good purpose, but occasionally we encounter them as very difficult and dangerous. The Bible declares that God created people free. We talked about this before. God didn't make puppets. He made people. Um, We don't we don't just respond. We, we have our own volition, our own will, which means that God gave us the power, the freedom to choose him or not him, good or evil, love or hate, life or death. You get to choose this day. That means that we're also able to sin grievously. So, Because of the processes of natural law and because of the possibility of human sin and and sometimes the combination of the two, we live in the midst of brokenness all the time. So what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Um, Are you convinced that God is for us? Are you convinced that God is with us? God entered this twisted, tarnished, broken world in Jesus. And he did so to live among us and to share our burdens and to show us the power of his love. He came to reveal the Father, to show us the character and the will and the love of God, to redeem us to a life that is not only eternal, but worth living in the here and now. He he came so that we might see how a crown of thorns could be twisted into glory. How a hideous blood-stained cross could become a symbol of victory. That death could be defeated. And that we could rise again. If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say about these things? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul is referring to um, Abraham and Isaac when he is saying, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you remember that story of Abraham? God came to Abraham and said, take your son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Do you know that the place of the Temple Mount is the place where both Jews and Muslims agree that this occurred? What what do we learn? What do we learn from the story of Abraham? Abraham and his willingness in obedience to God to take his son to Mount Moriah. What do we learn from that? I think it's worth remembering that the altar of stone was built in the same place where 
later, um, David would meet with an angel, the same place where later Solomon would build a glorious temple, the same place where later in the city of Jerusalem would rise, um, where later God would offer his own son. What are we to say about these things? We're to speak the name of Jesus. My friend uh, Howard Eddington concluded his sermon on the Sunday following September the 11th, 2001, this way. A little boy looked at a painting of a crucifixion. It was graphic in its detail. The excruciating pain of Jesus was obvious. Tears welled up in the little boy's eyes, and he began to sob. And at last, with all of the emotion he could muster, he cried out, Oh God, if you had been there, it never would have happened. But you see, God was there. In the greatest atrocity the world has ever seen, God was there. And when they come to us, when tragedy, when atrocity comes to us individually or nationally, personally, no matter what, no matter how, no matter where, no matter when, when it comes, God is there with us. That is what we say about these things. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour together up next. We are um, looking forward to conversations with Rebecca McLaughlin, um, as well as Dr. Corbin Hornbeek. We're going to address what's happening on college campuses across the United States as we all respond to the unfolding events in Israel. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.